At Altiers Career College, you can enroll as a student and leave as a professional. Get the skills you need to be ready for a new career in as little as 10 months, from healthcare to skilled trades and IT. You'll get hands-on professional training in what fits you best with the support of our campus community. Altiers Career College, the new path to a new career. Find a campus near you at altiers.org. That's A-L-T-I-E-R-U-S dot org. Programs vary by campus. For consumer information, visit altiers.org slash Disclosures. Blog Talk Radio. Truth Seekers, you're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. Here's the number, 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet your questions and comments at A Measure of Truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at ameasureoftruth at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow, like, and repost us on Facebook and Twitter. Look, we've got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Dr. Lanise P. Bias is president of Bespeaks a life investment company that brings messages of hope, inspiration, and empowerment to the lives of youth, families, communities, and those in the workplace. She is an internationally known motivational speaker, trainer, consultant, and certified teen and family coach. 
Dr. Bias has delivered powerful keynote addresses, facilitated and developed workshops for faith-based public and private sectors, bringing new solutions to old problems. Her mission for over 30 years has been to invest hope, courage, and endurance in the lives of her audiences. Her journey was navigated as a public speaker after the death of her oldest son, Lynn Bias, a University of Maryland basketball player, died of cocaine intoxication in June of 1986, two days after being drafted by the Boston Celtics. Forty-two months later, December 1990, the Bias family experienced the death of their second son, Jay, the victim of a drive-by shooting. These two tragic deaths forged her commitment to reclaim the community. There will be beauty for the ashes, believing in the redemptive and transforming power of love. Hope is not extinct. The best is yet to come for community, youth, family, schools, and the workplace. Her clients include the White House ONDPC program, federal and local government agency programs, men, women, and youth organizations, faith-based communities, public and private schools and colleges, collegiate and professional sports, and the military. August of 2016, she was the keynote speaker for Women's Equity Day at Fort Knox, Kentucky. The spring of 2016, if I may paraphrase Stephen King, the most important things are the hardest things to say. These are the things you feel ashamed of because mere words only diminish the thought. You see, words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in our hearts and minds to no more than just living size when brought out into the open. Oh, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, the most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried. Like landmarks to a treasurer, your enemies would love to steal away and use against you at the worst possible moment. But still, you make revelations that cost you dearly, only to have people look at you like you're crazy, not understanding what you've said at all, or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried when you were saying it. Do you know what's even worse than that? Is when the secret stays locked within, and you can't get it out. Not for want of the courage to talk about it, but for want of someone who will just listen. Just listen. As someone who spends a great deal of time searching for the truth, the lesson that I've learned from this quote is, if you want the truth, you have to be prepared to release all judgment and be open enough to hear and accept the truth in whatever form it might take. Judgment alters the truth by changing how it's told or presented. Not accepting the truth stops the bearer from sharing the truth. Ignoring the truth kills ambition and is a recipe for disaster and makes success impossible. We all over the years have learned to guard ourselves against deception, but I've also come to realize that in most cases, you don't even have to discover or discern the truth. You just have to let it be and see it for what it is. Maybe you have a story too. It doesn't have to be just like the one we've heard. 
Hey, I just want to let you know I'm here and I'm willing to listen. All I ask from you is a measure of truth. Hello? Okay, Dr. Bias, can you hear me now? I can. Okay, great, great. We're going to go ahead and um, and even for our listeners who will be downloading the podcast, we will remove all of this. We had some technical difficulties, and um, we'll just go ahead and, and um, go from the introduction on in. All right? So okay, thank you, so Dr. You're... Bias. I'm sorry? Mm-hmm. Don't worry, all of this will be gone, and it will be gone like 10 minutes after the show's over. But um, oh, okay. I want to just thank you for joining us, and you, you can, I don't know if you did your introduction already. It, well, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Well, thank you, Michael. It is an honor and a privilege to be on your program this evening. Well, and uh, as I mentioned before, I, I'm really grateful and thankful you were able to take time out. I have heard your story over and over and over again, and you know, what I think of when I when I hear about what happened, because it was local news here in um, the area I lived in. I was in Camp Springs, Maryland, and um, I just didn't know to myself. I, I just thought, how can a mother make it after that? Um, and, you know, and, and leaving on such a high as well. So the great thing about your story is, is there there was – you saw your son get to the point where I'm sure you both had dreamed about and then to have that taken away from you. So tell us how that really impacted your lives as well as your family. And how did you find the resolve to become the person that you are today after that? Well, when I think back, that's been almost 32 years ago and I will uh, never forget, it was a beautiful, bright morning. The sun was shining so brightly in my bedroom window. And um, the phone rang, and then I received this call that um, Len was ill. And to come to the hospital to uh, see him. So I, my husband w- awakened, and he said, what's going on? And I said, something is wrong with Len. He's at the hospital. And um, we got up and we went to the hospital only to find out um, our worst nightmare. I have opportunities to speak to groups, and I share um, my testimony by starting off talking about the good life. 
and the good life is always where things are going uh, pretty good in your life. You're you're doing life every day. But what I have found is that in the good life so many times we think that everything should be apple hunky dory in the good life. But what I found out is that the good life has levels in it. It has highs and lows, but you're still in the good life. Well, up to that point, we were in the good life. And once we got to the hospital, we the nightmare began, the death of Len. And so as we were absolutely horrified at what we were hearing and about his death and him being at, as the term they use today, at the top of his game, uh, ready to um, take that brass ring and to find out that it was snatched away so quickly. It was absolutely devastating for the entire family, not only my family, but for the community and our extended family and community. Um, when when I, I knew Len Bias, my son Len Bias, as a basketball player, and my son, he played um, at the University of Maryland. Oh, it looks like he may be drafted into the NBA. But what I found out after his death was that this man was known around the world, and I had no idea the oh. impact that he had on sports with his mm-hmm. death. So as I tell, um, as, as I share, um, you cannot garner up strength and say, let me go and save the world. You cannot do that. Uh, oh, I, I'm going to go and speak to people and speak to children. I'm going to change their lives. It's no way possible that it could be done. But the strength that I found to be standing 31 years later is strength of my faith in God. That's mm-hmm. what got me as far as I am today and my family. Um I realized that Len's death was, um, he, I believe that he was a seed that went down into the ground to bring forth life and to bring so much change in the world. And and we know um, nationally and globally how laws changed and different things happened Mm -hmm. as as a result of his death. And um, our family was absolutely devastated, absolutely devastated. And the horror of what we heard and and the, what we had to live for years and still allowing the healing to take place, it is unimaginable. But I was on another program earlier, and and what I would like to say to the um, persons that may be interested in what I'm saying or or listening to me, I would like to tell them, those of you that remembered June 19, 1986, I thank you and your families for the prayers that got 
my family and I as far as we are today. We would have Mm -hmm. never made it if it had Mm -hmm. not been for those prayers that went up for the Bias family. Mm -hmm. And it what shocked me was that it shocked the world. People still come to me right now and say, I know where I was. It was just like when um, uh, John Kennedy was assassinated. Those Mm -hmm. that that Mm -hmm. are, you know, have that, that age, they remember. And people still come to me, men and women. And what is truly amazing now, Michael, is that adults, uh, are sharing the story about Lynn with their kids, and yeah. their kids yeah. are approaching me now. I mean, this is mind-boggling that um, uh, a generation is passing his legacy on to another generation, and mm-hmm. it is incredible to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lynn Bias was incredibly good. He was an amazing basketball player and so many people have been following him throughout his career and um, I can't imagine how it would have been in today's YouTube generation Uh, it would have been all over the place but um, everyone was following him Um, every sports outlet you can think of or paper sports illustrated everyone knew who this guy was and except um, for me except for his mom yeah, I didn't yeah. know. I had right. no idea. I was blown away at his at the response we received. Um, uh, cards, um, flowers. The first flowers that came to the house um, came from um, I think it was Michael Jordan, and then mm. Larry Bird, and then the mm. card that came from um, Chip O'Neill, who was um, the Speaker of the House at the time Mm -hmm. uh, on Capitol Hill. So many, we received personal cards from then President President Reagan and Nancy and the Bushes. I mean, it it went, it shook the, it shook this nation. His death literally shook this nation. That is amazing. Now, you must have known that your son was good. You've been to the games. Oh, yeah. And yeah, you saw the yeah. response from the crowd. <laughs> right. But I, I, I did. at the level that you are saying, you, I guess you just don't get that from a direct, up-close-and-personal relationship to understand the full scope of it. But um, for you, I, I, I always look at it. The fact that this happened at a time where he had reached such a, a, a pinnacle and yes. um, this was the beginning for it to end there was the heartbreak. It was just, yes. it, it was devastating. So, you know, 42 months later, your son Jay shot at a shopping mall parking lot, drive-by shooting. How does one gather themselves after that? I I I tell you, I I have absolutely no strength, and and honestly, I'm telling you the mm. truth. For 31 years, it has been my faith, and I I would not dare move from my faith because I know mm-hmm. I would be just the way people think I should be. 
out mm. of my mind, no hope, mm. no vision, mm. no anything, no family. I, I, I would be out of my mind, and my family would be just just torn to pieces and separated. You, you hear of deaths that happen within families, and families, um, it's just so hard. Families will split up. You know, they just separate. They they just can't yeah. stay together. But my remaining two children and my husband and I are still together. Mm-hmm. And That's when awesome. after Jay's death, I laid in my bedroom floor and I I wanted to die. I did not want mm-hmm. to live. I wanted to die. But um, my faith in God bought me through. I have no strength at all. And and I'll say this to your to your listeners as well. What what I found out in life, this is my journey. This is just a little piece that I'm telling you, but wh- what I found out is that no matter how dark it is, no matter how dark it is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And mm-hmm. I say that because I I could not imagine how our family would be able to go on and then with the the Jay's death, Jay being murdered and the court going to court and mm-hmm. just so much going on, mm-hmm. I just did not think we could make it. But I would like to encourage the listeners today that the you have to press. You cannot throw in the towel. The only way you can get oil from an olive is to crush it. The only way you can get juice from an orange is to squeeze it. And I had to press and press and press. And today, I tell you, I would could not believe that my husband and I would still be uh, together. My two children are um, married, and I have five grandchildren, beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful grandchildren mm-hmm. who adore their uncles. My 10-year-old granddaughter um, received her first cell phone, and her screensaver on her cell phone is her Uncle Len kneeling down holding the ball. My 25-year-old grandson that just graduated from college uh, put um, a picture of Len Dunking, had it tattooed on his calf, and on Mm -hmm. the inside he had another tattoo of Jay playing high school basketball. And my other grandson that is in college who is an athlete, on um, both of his muscles on one, he has bias, and the other, he has blood. So mm. even though my grandchildren were not here, they own they they own the legacy of their uncles. Mm. They mm. own it. Mm. Wow! I was searching on the internet today too, and I saw the um, the grave site, um, and they're they're buried next to one another. Is that correct? Yes, they are. And the thing about that is I really did not realize that I was standing on one son's grave and burying another until the day Mm. of the funeral. And I literally Mm. looked down and saw I was standing on Len's grave putting Jay in. Mm. So how does all of this transition into you speaking 
um, on the various subjects that you've spoken on and also helping families and other people to to cope with um, the things that you do. So where, where did that come from through all of this? How did that come together? Well, this is the way this happened, and unbeknownst to me, um, they, there was a memorial service in Coalfield House at the mm-hmm. University of Maryland, Florida. And um, the mothers of the players presented me with roses. And as I received the roses and stepped to the podium, um, the words that I said and the strength that I um, showed at that time, there were cameras from all over the world there filming me. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the 700 Club with Pat Robinson. Right. It's a Christian uh, Christian TV program. Well, mm-hmm. their cameras were there, and he asked me on his program and tell people of my strength, mm-hmm. of how I was standing in such a difficult time. And yes. it was so much preparation for me to be able to stand. Um, You just don't gather up uh, faith and go and say, oh, I'm going to, I can endure this hardship. No, you have to um, develop and have have it, um, uh, faith, the measure of faith that you're going to need to walk through. So there was preparation for me to be able to stand in my spiritual life for me to be able to stand so that God would get glory through the death of Len. So I went on this TV show, and um, they asked me some questions, and people saw the strength and mm-hmm. what I mm-hmm. was saying, and that I, I never, ever did any marketing or anything, and that was it. It wow. took off. Mm-hmm. And then I began to have um, people to um, ask me to come and speak at schools, of course. And mm-hmm. um, I would go to the schools and I would talk about drugs. But mm-hmm. the thing that was always in the back of my mind was, who am I to say anything? How can I say anything to uh, uh, youth about drugs when my son died of a drug-related death. Who am I? And all I heard was just go in in love and just speak to them. So that's what I did. And I would put four things out before I speak. I would tell the young people, and I still use it from time to time. I tell them that I love them all and that um, I love them unconditionally and that um, I come to offend no man. Any reference I make spiritually, I'm talking about my own walk. And then I would Mm -hmm. tell them I don't see black faces, white faces. I only see beautiful young people that need to be encouraged in a difficult time. And then I told them that I I didn't care anything about what people thought about me. So one thing that I learned, Michael, um, fear for me, what I learned is fear, um, fear um, reveals, when you press into fear, it reveals um, courage. 
You have mm-hmm. to face fear, mm-hmm. and once you can press through it, courage is birthed. And after you press through courage, then confidence. And that's the way it was because I was very scared when I first started speaking and very fearful. But as I began to do it and began to speak, and I would speak about the drugs and substance abuse and taking good care of themselves, telling the students this, then the the counselors and the principal would come and say, we have students that want to speak to you, and I'm not lying. They would take me in a conference room. I'd sit there, and the kids would be lined up in the hall coming to me, asking me about things that had nothing to do with drugs or alcohol. So mm-hmm. then that showed mm-hmm. me that I needed to broaden my message to try to strengthen young people uh, today. And we know that principles don't change, people change. So mm-hmm. today with our young people, I still believe that they're reachable, teachable, lovable, and savable. We have to change our approach in adapting to their needs today. And the methods have to change in reaching them, but never the message. So that's how I started speaking with um, the youth. And then uh, I began to receive invitations from other organizations and um, uh, for conferences surrounding substance abuse and um, just people needing to be encouraged and motivated and such because everybody is dealing with something. Everyone didn't uh, hadn't buried a child, but they were dealing with hardship. And, you, you know, I would just motivate people and still do. Now, I'm sure your message has changed quite a bit since then, and, and you, you said that you sort of um, shaped it based on the need that you saw and what people actually brought to you. Um, mm-hmm. Now, all over the country, we're dealing with an outbreak of um, a heroin epidemic, which is something that I thought that people had given up back in the, the 60s and 70s um, when it was – uh, a, a huge problem back then. Um, what what has your experience been now with um, families and other people who are dealing with trying to manage um, loved ones who are caught up in this? Well, I tell them that as long as their loved one has breath in their body, there is hope. There mm-hmm. is hope. But our biggest problem in this nation, Michael, is that we do not take prevention seriously. We will put all of the funding and money in, in to intervention and into uh, the outcomes. Uh, so our infrastructure has um, billions have been poured into the infrastructure in terms of intervention and and um, rehab centers and all of the different agencies that that help with the recovery from drugs. Now, it's nothing wrong with that, but we need to put a lot of time and money and energy on the front part of prevention because our young people are reachable, teachable, lovable, and savable. We have to change our approach in adapting to their needs 
and what worked in 1986 will not work in 2018. I mean, uh, my granddaughter was using her cell phone yesterday and was doing all types of things with it. We cannot use the same method that we used um, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, or five years ago to be able to capture our young people. They, technology is, 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 is rampant. It's, it's the new thing, and it's all good. But the reality is, is that by the same token, we have to work harder to pour into our young people to preserve their lives. They're reachable, teachable, lovable, and savable, and I encourage parents all of the time not to stop covering your children. Don't stop covering your children and understanding the stages of adolescent development, and don't be afraid to enter the culture today. You have to um, understand you can't correct your child until you connect. You've got to connect Mm -hmm. before you correct. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and, under, and And understanding the importance and the value that the human touch has and just parents mm-hmm. embracing their children and talking mm-hmm. to their children and taking time with them. They mm-hmm. are reachable, teachable, lovable, and savable. We just have to change our approach and adapting to their needs. Now, this epidemic that we're in right now, it's going to take a lot of hard work because the one reason why heroin is so accessible is because it's cheap. And the the kids, so many young people are using um, drugs just to cope, just to deal with everyday life, just to get away from life as it is, and everything mm-hmm. is feel good, have a good time. And honestly, I have spoken to so many young people, and if you can see their faces when I tell them, I know that they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. They are tired of social media, and it's nothing wrong with social media, but I'm saying on there all of the time, they're, they're tired of the negativity. They're just so tired, and suicide has taken off like crazy with our young people, and so many of them are hopeless. So when I go to them, I bring them a message of hope and telling them that they have to be patient with themselves and they don't have to um, be on every ship that sails in life. You know, stop discounting yourself. You get up every day in the morning, you look at yourself, and you hate yourself. Comparison ruins contentment. As long as you're comparing yourself to someone else, you'll never mm. grow to love and value mm. and appreciate who you mm. are. And you are the gift. You have gifts within you that are covered with um, negativity, negativity and different mindsets that will not benefit you. So I talk to them about trying to, um, the importance of respecting authority, positive and legal authority. I talk to them about the importance of um, the group that they're in 
and I talked to them about um, being caught up in the whole thing about image because mm. they placed more value on the marketable than the non-marketable. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the yeah. non-marketable are those that, that richness that's within them. Yes. All of the richness that they have on hope and love and peace and those types of things. And I tell them that no one, um, uh, you don't have the worst problem in the world. No matter what you're going through, someone is going through something worse than yourself and trying to make it. And you can say that if if I'm going to do whatever I want to do and I don't care what anyone says, I tell them there are consequences to that decision. Every time you make a decision, um, you are you take a sip from a cup that you know that you should not have, you will suffer the consequences for it. So I just mm-hmm. try to encourage them. But mm-hmm. one thing that I love in the past, Um, I have spoken, gone to schools and spoken to young people during the day. And then the beauty is the school will have uh, another presentation in the evening for the parents where you can speak to the parents and tell them things are not hopeless. You know, you just have to work with them and just Mm -hmm. love them. Don't be worried about the hair, the tattoos, all of that stuff. It's just the trend that the kids are in now, but they Mm -hmm. need your unconditional caring. That's what Mm -hmm. they're looking for today is unconditional caring. Wow. You know, you made a really good point. And as you were speaking, I was thinking to myself that that is something that has become very crucial with young people. It used to be that, you know, Teenagers went through a phase where they were trying to find themselves, but they've lost that. And instead of trying to find themselves, they're only focused on trying to be the person that they think would be most popular. And they're losing so much of themselves in that process. And there's a disconnect at a time where they should be discovering who they really are. They're focused more on what other people might think of them or what they would want them to think. Right, you're absolutely right, but but the heartbreaking um, part about what you said is that so many of them are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. They're tired mm-hmm. of it. They just need someone to come in and tell them that mean that means it from the bottom of their heart. Because I tell people, you can't fool. Uh, children, senior citizens, or dogs, they can read a phony a mile off. So Mm -hmm. we need people who are authentic and intentional. And Mm -hmm. I think it was um, uh, James Baldwin that said, it's time for us to um, stop despising the crowd in front of us. Mm -hmm. Don't despise those you're called to teach. Stop mm. looking at where you came from and embrace the future, what's before you. Mm-hmm. Things are not going to change. We have to change to adapt to help these babies. And they're yeah. reachable, teachable, lovable, and savable. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you keep saying that over and over again because um, there's a there's a disconnect in families where they have stopped communicating they have forgotten how, and they're sometimes frustrated to the point where they they just don't feel that they can make a difference anymore. 
And, and oh. you talked about, you know, the touch, the human touch and, and being able to yeah. connect with your children again that way is a way back in for most people. It's a simple gesture that can yes. undo quite a bit. So, but, but go right I ahead. Agree. You were about to say something. Okay. I agree with you 100%. I remember when there was no cure for um, infections and then um, there was no cure for um, infection. There was no antibiotic. And the cure was found on bread, mold. So the mold that was on the bread was where penicillin was developed from. And mm-hmm. it's the same way in our houses today. We are the bread of life. We mm-hmm. are what our children need today. The cure, the uh, balm, the medicine is right there in the house. We just have to use new strategies. Remember now, I said we have to use the principle, the message never changes, but we have to be more methodical in how we share the message. And as mm. I said before, more uh, loving kindness and tenderness, you know, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. not being so abru- uh, uh, um, um, abrusive. I think about all of, excuse me what I'm about to say, but all of the hell that these children go through in school every day, all that they go through and come home, they need a place of um, safety. They need safe houses, Mm. safe Mm -hmm. houses where they can go in and it's not, did you do, did you do? I tell parents all of the time, the greatest conversation that most parents have with their children is, is did you do, 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 did you do? And it's always a command or, or, or do this or do that. That may have worked years ago, but today the children need tender, loving care and understanding. And they're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things that they should not do. But the main thing is to have um, that parent there working with them. I uh, enjoy tennis. And when Sloane Stevens won the U.S. Open, and she said that her mother just kept pushing her and helping her. We can't Mm -hmm. give Mm -hmm. up on our kids. We cannot throw in the towel. We have to work with them. That is the greatest job um, ever. You know, we have so many people, and there's nothing wrong with having your degrees and being documented and getting, um, making money and having all of this, but we have to find balance. Because um, life is like a scale. We can put everything that we want on one side of the scale, then the scale is out of balance. If everything you're doing in your home is about having uh, the marketable and, and having the next new thing and all of that, the scale is out of balance. So we have to put something in the other side of the scale along with 
the um, desires and the trends that we would like to have for our family and our children, but also on the other side, we have to put the non-marketable piece in there, the love and the peace and the joy and the understanding and perseverance and not throwing the towel in on these babies. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. And um, I have to commend you as well because um, not only did you make it through and you found that strength, um, but as well as your husband, as well as your your um, your children as well. Uh, I must I know this must have been tough for everyone, and um, I, I can see how you are in tune and so focused on making sure that everyone is moving forward and not falling um, by the wayside based on whatever events that may, you know, come about in life. You you don't get to choose the things that occur. You only get to choose how you respond to them. And um, your response has been just amazing. Well, I, w- I would like to um, send a shout out for my husband. This mm-hmm. man is amazing. I mean, mm. a man of great strength. Mm. I mean, I, I, he is the, the wind beneath my wings because he covered me. Mm-hmm. And when I would go out to speak, he released me to go. Yeah. He never fought me or argued mm. with me for over 30 years. Now, we have mm-hmm. hiccups. Everybody has hiccups. There, sure. There's no perfect marriages or families anywhere. The Joneses look like they have it all together down the street. You get down there, they jacked up too. Everybody mm-hmm. is going through mm-hmm. different problems. But this man covered me through the difficult, difficult, difficult times and has been there beside me and with our children for over 30 years. And I just thank God for him, a man of strength, a real man's man. And he loves and adores his family and his grandchildren, and he still pains about the loss of his sons, the loss of his sons. Yeah, how could he not? How could he not? And um but it's good to see that, you know, he dealt with it because, you know, the the separation comes when you stop talking about it and you don't allow, you know, yourselves to work through that together and to hear each other out on their feelings and emotions on this whenever they may come about. And um for you to be able to do the things that you do, which we really haven't spoke much about, but um, l- let's talk now about some of the organizations and some of the um, programs that you've been involved with that help families. Oh, there are numerous, numerous, numerous organizations, but um, I work with a couple. I have a program called um, WIT, and that's Women in Training. Uh, mm-hmm. for our teenage girls, and um, we have MIT, which is men in training for our teenage boys. My company is B Speaks. We are, a, as you said earlier, a life investment company, but we work with the uh, 
Mentor Foundation, the Girls and Boys Clubs, we've done work with them. I mean, anything dealing with youth, we have been there. And I also speak for the, um, in our uh, county, I speak for the local drug court there. When they have Mm. graduations, I go up to that. And Mm -hmm. just numerous organizations, numerous organizations. And we had, um, I partner with another organization, and uh, this is called Pumps, and it's um, Pushing Up My Precious Sister. And Mm -hmm. we have little pumps for little girls, and we had teenage girls from 7 to 17 come out to an event that we sponsored a couple of weeks ago, and we brought their peers in to speak and one older peer, and it was absolutely fantastic. And then we had a break, and then we brought the uh, little canvases out, 8 by 10, and had them to paint uh, this we had an artist there to show them how to start uh, painting, how you layer the paint, and um, the object that they were drawing were uh, their style of shoes. And it was it was so relaxing to the girls. If we could just get back to the simple things with boys and girls, and just giving them spaces of safety, but. Um, I'm trying to think of um, so many programs I work with. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the um, the White House program, the Owen DPC program. What was that about? Oh, that was a uh, roundtable um, mm-hmm. that was held, and um, that was uh, back during uh, Bill Clinton and um, Gore and Jesse Jackson, all of us were involved in a roundtable discussion about substance abuse. The White House um, Office of Drug Control Policy, there they had a conference, and I was one of the uh, keynote speakers. And the White House, the year before last, had a webinar, I think it was, last year or year before last where I participated in the webinar in terms of substance abuse and one of the things that they're looking at today with substance abuse where it was once a uh, considered as a moral issue and throw them away, put them in jail. Today we're looking at the science of it mm-hmm. and looking mm-hmm. at the science of it, it is um, going through um, the uh, actual uh, uh, causes and what are some of the environmental changes that uh, take place and what takes place in the body. And in the mind, um, I do some mental health presentations as well, because uh, mental health is uh, really key today, and it's all connected. Everything that we're talking about, it comes back to the thoughts of the mind and how it is that we're making it. Yeah, and um, you mentioned your faith so much as well. Um, You might as well tell us your church. 
<laughs> My church is in District Heights, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And um my church is in District Heights, Maryland. It's Hemingway Memorial, um, AME, and Pastor um, Samuel uh, Haywood III is my pastor. Oh, um, okay. But uh huh. So, um, but my faith uh, came as a result of of me developing my faith. I come. Sure. I'm a Christian. And mm-hmm. as my faith was developing, um, and I was drawn to, um, I just had a, a deep interest. It was something that was going on in me. And I found peace in my faith. But as my faith developed, um, I had gained more strength and more understanding about God's word and understanding for me, as I said, I understand that there are many belief systems and I respect other people's beliefs. But for me, um, my faith is in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is what has kept me um, these years and kept my family as well. Um, I do a lot of women's um, Programs. I have a woman's program called Women of Light. And what this is is a program that we put on once a month. It's a free event where we have speakers to come in and talk about different issues that women, uh, that people are confronted with today. Um, last week, uh, this weekend past, we had someone to come in and talk about the DNA um uh the dna of um dealing with the blood and mental health how it can be passed down from generation to generation and nih has a beautiful handout on this issue about um it being in the blood and some of the behaviors that are passed on genetically Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And the week before, uh, the month before that, we had someone to come in and talk about faith untested is powerless, which means that um, you can whatever you have faith in, it's going to be tested. If you say that you believe you can go to college and you can get your master's, your doctorate, or whatever, all of that has to be tested. So when the hardship comes, it's only a test, and you have to press through it. And we had someone to come in and speak on anger and unforgiveness and Hmm. understanding um, about anger and unforgiveness and how it destroys our health and the stress that it brings on us. Hmm. So um, we cover those types of um, subjects for women and some men have come as well. Um, I was speaking at a uh, conference with a an, an education conference some um, in I forget the city, but there were 1,700 um, participants uh, that were there, and I did the opening morning keynote speech. Now this was really wild. They had the table set up for a book signing, and um, to take pictures and do autographs and that sort of thing. 
So at the conclusion of my presentation, I went to the table and people came to shake my hand. They wanted me to take a picture with them or get an autograph or something like this. But this um, middle-aged, very professional, I would say professional white woman, middle-aged, came up to me. She was in line, and she said, I do not want your autograph. I don't want to take a picture with you. What I want to tell you is that before I heard your message today, I had planned to go home and commit suicide today. Mm. Blew me away. Blew me away. She said, but after your message today, I am going to keep pressing and going on. Wow. Hmm. And did she ever mention what she was dealing with? No, it mm. didn't matter. The thing wow. was that she mm. had a change of heart by the words that are giving. Like I said, I'm just kind mm. of jumping mm-hmm. around in the time mm-hmm. that we have here today. Sure. But when I give a uh, well, we'll presentation. Well, if your listeners are interested. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Listeners are interested. You know, I don't have a problem with it. But um, my faith is the foundation on which I stand on. And Mm -hmm. I just believe, as I said before, that Len and Jay were two seeds that went down into the ground to bring forth life. Mm -hmm. And the suffering that the biases and so many other people have endured, the Mm -hmm. suffering is to bring release to other people so others can be healed. And so what our concern is and our prayer is is that the young people of this nation will, um, leaders will rise up and be full of compassion for these little ones and reach out and help them. A study was done on um, uh, uh, two little puppies. And one puppy, um, they played with him all of the time. He had shelter, food, and water. And the other puppy, they just fed him and gave him shelter. And he was withdrawn and and wasn't happy at all. But the, the puppy that received the touch was very responsive and bouncy and jumping around. And it's the same thing with plants. The same study was done with plants. One plant was just given water, was just watered and left there. The other plant, the person that watered the plant loved plants. And it was something, uh, energy that went from the individual that was taking care of the uh, plant, that the plant responded and was so beautiful. So every living thing responds to love. And for real, for real, for real, for real, Michael, what the world needs today is love, sweet love. Everybody Mm. is not going to be perfect. You're not going to like everyone. You're not going to love everyone. But just respect people and their opinions and take good care of yourself. Today, the greatest love of all is really valuing and appreciating yourself and not being hard on yourself and discounting yourself and learning to appreciate who you are and respect those that are in your realm of influence. 
Wow. Well, Dr. Bias, I want to thank you for that. And I told you it would come up really soon. We are out of time, but um, I really mean it. I would love to have you back on again and um, possibly even have you on with some other guests as a panel discussion on as we address some of these topics that you're, you know, been able to, you know, give uh, some insight into that really helps people to be able to deal with things in a way that's not instruction, but it's just you know, empathy and giving them something to really hold on to that puts it in, yeah. you know, their hands and allows them to be able to to make a change. It's a, it's really a mindset. But uh, I thank you again, Dr. Bias, and I hope we can have you back on again real soon. Well, just get on the calendar. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> okay. thing. I would be delighted. All thank right. you, Mike. And good night, thank everybody. You. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. A uh, special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. Before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you. Okay, Kevin, for the grand prize of $1 million, what color is the White House? Um, I know this, I know this, I know this, um... Five seconds. Oh, switching to GEICO could save you a bunch of money on car insurance? Okay. Judges? That's true, Kevin. They'll allow it. Congratulations. You're a winner. Woo! GEICO, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer.